0: Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salat wa salam ala Rasulul Kareem wa ala alihi wa Sahbihi wa manisthenna bi sunnati All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on His last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The topic of today's khutbah was about how Allah has set the provision for every human being in this life. And how that setting for each and every one of us is a trial and a test. From the time that we are born whilst we are in the womb, as an embryo we are informed by Prophet Muhammad Wasallam that the angel comes at the beginning of the six months and blows in the spirit. And at that time The angel also records certain things concerning each and every one of us. Among them is what we will earn in this life. The total amount of money, wealth, etc. that we will manage to gather around ourselves, all of it has already been written. Written ultimately in the law and mahfuz, where all the destinies of everything was already written, some 50,000 years before the creation of this world, according to what the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu has informed us, written again at the time of the birth of each and every one of us. And we know that when we die, none of us will take from this world anything that we didn't bring in with us, besides our deeds. So, it's something for us to reflect on that our provision, what we are going to earn in this life has already been set. It doesn't mean that we don't strive to improve the quality of our life, that we are fatalists as some may try to describe Muslims, Islam as being a fatalistic uh, type religion where because of these teachings Muslims cannot progress, they are backward, third world, etc., at this point in time, because of the fact of their belief in destiny. However, this is not the case at all, because prior to this period where we were the third world, there was a time when we were the first world, where Muslims were the rulers, although they didn't divide the world into first world and second world, as the present rulers now is divided, but the Muslim world was the, the leading world. The the, the world of knowledge, the world of science, the world of progress and development, that was the Muslim world. World where people were quite rich, who used their riches for the benefit of people. I mean some abused it, we're not saying nay, but many used it for the benefit of human society, its growth and its development. And the beliefs that they had then, in terms of destiny, are the same beliefs that we have now. So the reason for the Backwardness of Muslims today has nothing to do with their belief in the destiny, which is a part and parcel of our faith, the sixth pillar of faith, is belief in the destiny, what is good of it, and what is evil relative to ourselves. This is part of our faith. What our belief does provide for us is a sense of contentment, contentment after we have striven our utmost. We know. We are obliged to use whatever means are available in this life to gather for ourselves whatever we can. Allah has provided the things of this life for our benefit. And it is our right to try to utilize it, to gather as much and to utilize it as best as possible. However, when we make our utmost efforts, we then put our trust in Allah as to the result of our efforts because no matter what we plan, no matter what we desire, no matter how hard we strive, what has been destined for us is what will come to us. So, this life is a test for each and every one according to how Allah has set the provision for us. Some have been given a lot and some have been given little. But in both cases it is a test. Allah has created man in a state of social interdependence. That is that he cannot exist as an individual. He cannot function independent from the rest of mankind. To fulfill his needs he must depend on other human beings. As other human beings depend on him to fulfill their needs. So there is this interdependence. All human beings depend on other human beings. And Allah has made some rich, wealthy, and has made some poor and destitute. And when he made this situation, he also placed certain rules and certain principles in order that this separation or this uh, difference between the rich and the poor not be a source of harm to man, to human society. but that it be a source of benefit that is that difference that is there is fundamentally for the benefit of human society for the benefit of the human for the of the human being of the individual it is a benefit in the sense that it is an opportunity for man to develop the higher qualities the higher spiritual qualities among which are Generosity. Generosity, kindness, concern, care, all of these qualities develop only in a circumstance where there is a need, where there is a difference. If we all had the same amount of wealth, then there would be no one who would be in need for us to give, and there would be no challenge to our desire to possess. Allah has created in us a natural desire to possess, to own, but at the same time He has created a circumstance where there is a need for us to share. And the quality of sharing is a higher quality. The quality of possessing is a necessary quality in this life. For survival we have to have a natural desire to want to possess certain things which are necessary for our existence. But the higher quality is the one of sharing, giving of what we have, not holding on to it that firmly. So the circumstance of the life is what creates an environment in which the higher spiritual qualities of kindness, generosity, sympathy, etc. can develop. Therefore, it is a test for those who Allah has blessed with an excess of wealth or with plenty that they have a responsibility to share with those who are in need. Not merely those who come to them with their hands out, begging, asking, but it is their responsibility to go and find those who are in need to share. Because it's not a favor that we do for those who are in need when we give because they put their hand out. This is a right which they have. That even if somebody is not putting his hand out, we are required to go and find those who are in need. We know amongst the heads of expenditure in the zakah, there is those who are considered to be poor, who are known to be poor, who we give because the knowledge is available to those in charge of the distribution of zakah. But there are also those who are not known. And it's the requirement of the community to go and seek these people out. Those who are poor but do not wish to put themselves in a position of begging. They would prefer to suffer quietly. We have to go and seek these out. So it is a blessing, a blessing from Allah if we become a source of helping other people. That Allah has given us plenty and put us in an opportunity to help others. because. The plenty that we have received is by the destiny of Allah. And if we share that plenty with others, Allah blesses us, rewards us for that. So He has granted us a favor and then He rewards us for utilizing that favor. This is a great blessing. It's from the grace of Allah that He give us this opportunity. And the Imam quoted a hadith reported by Tabarani in which the Prophet ﷺ informed us that Allah has some people whom He has chosen to bless with wealth in order that they may share this wealth with others and to help those who are in need. However, if they do not do so, then Allah takes it away from them and gives it to others. And, of course, He also quoted the verse from the Qur'an in which Allah said, in شَكَرْتُمْ That if you give thanks to Allah for what blessing Allah has given, then He will increase it. But if we disbelieve, then His punishment is great. If we thank Allah for what He has given us, not thanking merely by words, words at the beginning, we spoke about that in the previous session, that we are required as Muslims to thank those who help us thank Allah what He has given us. However, the greater aspect of thanks is in living that gratitude. We thank Allah by giving of what He has given us. This is the greater thanks. And when we do not do so, this is what is described as kufran in nimah a disbelief in the blessings of God. And Allah has promised a severe punishment for those who disbelieve in his blessings. Disbelieving not in that they're saying, well, this is not from Allah, but in not giving, sharing of it with others, of in not using it in accordance with the laws of Allah. This is the disbelief. Disbelief in action. Then the imam went on quoting various hadiths, all of which, speak to the principle of Muslims helping those in need in this life. That if we see a Muslim in a state of calamity, and we help that Muslim, Allah will help us removing some of the calamities of the Day of Judgment. That the reward that Allah gives us on that day will be of the same description or general description for our what he will give us on that day will be similar to what we do in this life. That if we cover a Muslim whose situation is terrible, rather than spreading it all over the place and creating ill feelings of Muslims towards this person, we cover it and try to help this person get himself together, then Allah will cover some of our sins on the day of judgment that we would not like to be known to everybody. This is something which the Prophet Muhammad has encouraged us in a variety of different ways. That if we make things easy for our Muslim brothers, somebody makes, borrows money from us, and we know that individual doesn't have the means to pay it back. We have a choice. We can either take him to court or, you know, put him in a situation which is very embarrassing, etc. And force him to pay it back even though he has no means. Or we can take it easy with him. Let it slide. We can either cancel it, put it in the category of zakah, because he may be a recipient of zakah, or sadaqah. Or we can give him a period of time because we might need the money too. We might be in need of that money. So we just say, okay, we'll give you a longer period of time in which to pay it. But the point is that we make it easy for that individual. That if we do that on the day of judgment, when we will be in need of Allah taking it easy on us, in the in, in certain judgments in certain cases, then he would do that for us. Then he quoted, you know, other well known hadiths, you know, wherein the Muslim is described as the brother of his fellow believer, that he does not oppress him, he is not scornful towards him. That Muslims are like one building, one structure, each part supporting the other. The part that is weak is supported by the parts that are strong. And all of this the helping. And of course the helping is not only limited to Muslims. For Muslims it's helping everybody. But of course we have to start with our Muslim brothers and sisters because they have the first right on whatever Allah has blessed us with. But that help goes beyond them also. We see uh, people, others who are in need, we know during the times of the the righteous caliphs, etc. Monies were given to non-Muslims within the Muslim state to help those who are in need, those who are poor. So Muslims do not limit their kindness or their generosity, etc., only to other Muslims, no. But first and foremost, they must be kind to their brothers in faith. It's just like a person who is kind to everybody, but he is terrible to his family. We say, no, listen brother, you must start with your family. You have to first and foremost be kind to your family, to your children, to your wife. Be generous to them, etc. And also be generous to those outside of your family. So with those who are closest to you, you have to start with them. It's no good being very kind and positive to everybody outside. But those who are closest and nearest to you, you're not. And we know, as the Imam pointed out, the Prophet ﷺ had emphasized that the essence of the message of Islam was what is called makarimul akhlaq. Now as the Prophet had said li makarim al That I was only sent the essence for which I was sent was to complete the most high and noble of the character traits of good character all of the things which are known in all of the society it's not necessary to list each and every one But everything which is known to be noble, Islam is about establishing that, is about calling people to that. The essence of the message of Islam is about that. Everything that we are required to do in Islam is to help to develop these characteristics of kindness, caring, the desire to help others in all forms whether by clothing those who are in need of clothing, providing housing for those who are in need of housing, guiding those who are in need of guidance, etc. All of the things which human beings consider to be noble, the principles of Islam, from A to Z, all train the believer to develop these characteristics. This is at the highest level. But even at the very lowest level, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ had emphasized that we show kindness to mankind, to people in general, even at the simplest level. As he said, to greet your brother with a smiling face, this is charity. Even on this very low level, Allah counts it as a form of charity, as a good deed, to greet your brother with a smiling face. And this is not the smile which is the opportunistic smile. I know in the West, People are taught to greet with a smiling face. If you work in a store, you are told to keep a smiling face. You work at the counter, you're selling goods, you must smile at the customer. You could say, well, oh, that's in Western teaching. but no! The intention here is not to smile because you're trying to do sadaqah, you're trying to, to, to do something nice to this person, you're smiling so that that person will come back the next day. You see, you have ulterior motives behind your smiling, trying to capture this person as a regular customer, so you are instructed, as a worker, to smile, no matter how you feel. You could have had a lousy night the night before. You got up late. You can hard, you're hardly awake, but you have to stand there with this plastic smile on your face as you serve everybody. That's a different kind of smiling. In Islam, we are to, even in the circumstance you don't feel like it's good to smile at your brother. when you greet others smiling. But Your intention here is not for ulterior motives. Your intention is to try to show a piece of kindness, to make an effort in a circumstance where it is difficult for you to show a piece of kindness because when you smile at that person, it makes that person feel good. Though you are not feeling good, you are trying to make others feel good. And that effort is blessed by Allah as charity. And even the removing, walking on the streets, and seeing a broken piece of glass, a nail, stick with a nail in it. Just removing that from the way this is charged. That we should never consider anything too small to do. Any act of goodness, of kindness, we should never consider it too insignificant. Because the rewards which Allah has promised us are for those who do kindness of all types, at all levels. And none of us can say that we are so certain of all the good rewards from Allah that we don't need any more. We've had enough. An opportunity to, to do good comes, and some people will say, Okay, you go ahead, you do it. Why not you? We're lining up in the masjid, in the masjid for salah. You'll see some people there's a space comes in the line. Some people will tell you, go up, go up, fill the space. Why not you? You know, Prophet Muhammad has said the best of the lines are the lines which are closest to the amount. It's, it's very foolish, very ignorant for a person to tell others, go fill the spot and they stand back because they want to be closer to the door so when the salah is out, they can leave more quickly. This is very ignorant, very foolish. So we should never be one to encourage others to do good and forget ourselves because all of us are in need and we will be in need when we stand before Allah on the day of judgment. And when we do charity, when we share, when we give to those who are in need, we should do so, as the Imam advised us, with a smiling face. We should not do it with pain on our face, where the person can feel every, every real that we have taken out. You know, it is like a strain for us. Somebody comes in need and, you know, your face is so twisted, you're giving, but they're looking at you, <laughs> you know, it's just pitiful. No. You're destroying your act of charity when you do it in this fashion. Though it may be painful. The one is saying it's not painful. Nobody is, is, you know, likes to give up what they have because everybody is afraid of tomorrow and the day after, etc. But in spite of how we might feel inside, it is important for us to give our charity, to give with a good face, a good smile. And we should also hide that charity. Not to give it in front of everybody. You know, you have some people that are very famous when they give, you know, it's recorded in the newspapers, big sign. This masjid was built by, and you see so and so and so, donated by. This book is printed. This print, uh, cost was paid by so and so and so. This is, in a company where there are people who have and are not giving, a person may give publicly in order to encourage those others to give. This is the exception to the rule to encourage others. But most of what we see, this announcement of the givings, etc., this is not of that type. It is more one of glory. My name is recorded as being the one who did this and did that and gave and all this. Unfortunate, because when one does such an act, in order that people might say, what a generous person that one is. We know, Prophet Muhammad said that amongst the first would be thrown in hell, would be a, this wealthy individual who gave. Allah gave him all his wealth and he asked him, what do you do with your wealth? He said, I gave it for your pleasure. And Allah would say, no. You gave it so people would say, what a generous man he is. And you received what you thought in that life. There's nothing for you in the next life. He will be dragged off on his face and thrown in hell. So when we give charity, if we do it in order to promote ourselves in an egoistic or egotistical fashion, then we destroy the value of the good that we do. If we are able to keep in mind that charity is an obligation, it is something which is compulsory on us. If we want to succeed in this life, it is compulsory on us. If we keep that in mind, that can help us to get away from the attitude of Trying to show off in doing charity the difficulties that we might find in sharing what we have. And he quoted a verse from the Quran in which Allah, speaking of the righteous, describes them as saying, minkum jaza shukura." Verily we feed you, we provide for you food and drink for the pleasure of Allah. And we don't wish from you any reward or anything. We're not doing it for the reward or for the thing. We're doing it for the pleasure of Allah. That Allah be pleased with us. If you thank us, Alhamdulillah. If you don't thank us, Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. We're still doing it. We're not doing it only because you will thank us. We're not doing it only for a reward that may come in this life. But we're doing it for the reward that Allah has promised us when we do that which is pleasing to Him. And of course, reminding us also the charity. Though we may do it in accordance with all of the principles. If after we have done it, we remind people of that charity that we did. You know, we did good. But we never let the person forget what I did for you. Or, we follow up the kindness that we have done for them with some form of ill-treatment. Then, we destroy again the reward of the good that we have done. If we have done it for the sake of Allah, there's no need to remind that person. If the time comes that we need a favor from that person and we ask them and they're not willing to give us, it is not for us to say, don't you remember when I helped you when you were in need? I know this is our, this is our nature. <laughs> this is what we'll be driven to, to want to say. But we should try not to say that because we did that for the sake of Allah. Not that the person will help us in the future. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You do for them as you would like them to do for you. But you're not doing it for them in order that they may do it for you. So in summing up, we could say that the essence was a reminder to us that our provision in this life has been set by Allah. It's been set as a test for those who have as well as those who have not. Those of us who have have a An obligation to share with those who do not have. Those who do not have, have an obligation to be patient, to strive to have, but to be patient and to be content with what Allah has destined for them. And the way in which we handle ourselves in this life will determine our state in the next life. The good that we do for those around us by sharing the blessing which Allah has given us with others, this good will be multiplied and come back to us in the next life. We should also keep in mind that no good is too small for us to do. We should seek, to share, to help at whatever opportunities are presented to us. We should encourage others to do so and we should ourselves be the first, doing good for the pleasure of Allah, not for what we wish from people, whether it be praise, or good of the same quality. The topic of today's sermon khutbah was that of sincerity and the role of sincerity in religion. The term for sincerity used in Arabic is ikhlas. And the Imam began the presentation on sincerity by quoting a a verse from one of the surahs or chapters at the end of the Quran, the one known as al-bayyinah, And in it, you know, Allah says, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ That they were only commanded, you know, we, actually, we are all only commanded by Allah to worship Allah, making our worship of Him sincere. You know, to worship Him in such a way that our religious acts, what composes the religion for us, is one based on sincerity. This is all that Allah has commanded us to do. This is the, this is the foundation of the faith. And, in fact, there is even a statement wherein the Prophet Muhammad you know, had said that whoever says La ilaha illallah will enter paradise. He made a general statement of this nature. Then he further went on to clarify it, repeating the same statement, but by saying, whoever says La ilaha illallah sincerely from his heart will enter paradise. So, he's, he makes a distinction. And in the general sense, whoever says la ilaha illallah will enter paradise. But what is meant by that is, are those who say it sincerely from their hearts. That if a person at any time in his life sincerely says la ilaha illallah, it means that once faith has entered your heart, it will never go. You may do wrong, you may stray, but you know, once you have tasted the reality of faith, which causes you now to be sincere in your declaration, then you will ultimately attain paradise. And the Imam, I went on to point out that when people are insincere in what they're doing, eventually their insincerity will be exposed. You know, a person may pretend sincerity for a period of time, however eventually the circumstance will catch up with him and the reality of that individual will be exposed. And furthermore, from an Islamic point of view, a heart which lacks sincerity, you know, is the worst of hearts. Because this is the heart of the hypocrite. This is the heart of the enemy of Allah. This is the worst of mankind. So it is a a situation that we have to check ourselves about. To be certain that we are in fact sincere in what we are doing, whether it includes the the religious, obviously religious acts, or whether it is with regard to acts which we normally consider not religious per se. Because really in Islam, the principles cover everything. And the, the concept of sincerity is something which is required in all aspects of our life. And there is no way that we can be truly sincere in our worship of Allah, but insincere in our dealings with other human beings around us. These two don't come together. If we're insincere with our dealings with people, we will be insincere with our dealings with Allah. Because it is on the basis of our sincerity to Allah in our worship, which causes us ultimately to be sincere in our dealings with other human beings. Because our relationships with other human beings are governed by the laws of Allah. So how can we possibly be sincere to Allah and yet break His commandments in dealing with people? No. It means that the true sincerity is not really there. The Imam mentioned that in, in one of the, the la- latter battles, uh, when the call for jihad was given and people were invited to, to take part, there were people who came to Prophet Muhammad who wanted to join in the Jihad. However, due to the lack of sufficient materials for them, you know, uh, weaponry, uh, means of transport, etc., there was no opportunity for them to join in the Jihad. So these individuals, you know, turned away, they are described you know, in the Quran, described in the Sirah, as turning away from the Prophet ﷺ with their eyes filled with tears. You know, this opportunity, the opportunity to go out with the Prophet ﷺ, they were not, it was not available to them. And so, you know, this moved them to tears, they were very sad. And he gave the example also of one Arab, desert Arab who came to Prophet Sallam, accepted Islam, and started to practice the religion as sincerely as he could. When the time for the Battle of Khaybar came, he went out with them, they fought. and At the end of the battle, they were dividing up the booty, you know, what was captured from the enemy, it was divided up amongst those who took part in the jihad. And when they brought a the portion to him, he asked, what is this? He said, well this is the portion of the, you know, booty which is for you. He said, no, I, I didn't, you know, make bay'ah. that is, I didn't make my oath of allegiance to the Prophet Muhammad for this. This is not what I made bay'ah for. I made bay'ah to go with him, to find an arrow in my heart, he pointed to where his heart was, dying and achieving paradise. This is what I made Ba'ah for. So the Prophet ﷺ had said, you know, that if that is really the case, then, you know, he will attain paradise. And surely, you know, after this, the, uh, they went on, I think it was, I don't know whether it was the same battle, we went on to another battle or something to this effect, and um, the, uh, as they were bringing the wounded and, and, and the dying, etc., I mean, his body was amongst them, with a heart, with an arrow in his heart, and the Prophet, ﷺ, you know, had stopped them, the companions who were taking his body and asked, Is it him? You know, the one who had said this and they said yes. And uh, the Prophet, ﷺ, you know, had said that he spoke the truth and that he would attain paradise. You now in, in the in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, there are some people who he did identify as being amongst those people who would go to paradise. You know, and this individual was one. He's unnamed, nobody knows what his name is, specifically in the what has been recorded of the biography of the Prophet, ﷺ, but his story is known and because of sincerity, then whatever a believer does becomes an act of righteousness. Whether, and he quoted the statement of Prophet ﷺ, you know, the one who plants, you know, trees or whatever, or he plants uh, vegetables or things on a farm, whatever, each act of planting that he's doing, this becomes an act of charity, an act, a righteous act which is added to the scale of good deeds. When he spends on his wife and on his children of his money, this becomes acts which are good deeds which are recorded in his favor. Because of the fact that he's doing it for the sake of Allah. And this is what turns it all into good deeds. And it's important for us to reflect on the various statements of Prophet Muhammad as well as those of Allah, you know, which remind us about the importance of sincerity of, you know, checking ourselves out. I mean, reading those verses wherein, for example, Allah says, That verily he hears and sees all things, you know, that nothing escapes him. Whatever we may portray to people, what is really in our hearts, what we're thinking, you know, what we speak about silently, privately, what most people can't hear, Allah hears. Allah sees, he knows. You know, by reflecting on these type of verses, we help ourselves to, to realize that we can not hide anything from Allah. That we ultimately have to stand before Allah. You know, and Allah says in some other verses, you know, that if you hide, you know, what is in your hearts, He knows what is in your hearts. So there's nothing. We cannot hide anything from Allah. We will have to stand before Allah and we will see before ourselves all that we did, what we thought, what we intended to do, etc., our intentions, it will all become clear on the day of judgment. And we will be rewarded accordingly. And he also. The Prophet also pointed out that, you know, whoever fights, when they fight, you know, whatever their their intent was, whatever purpose they were fighting for, then they will be raised on the day of resurrection accordingly. And he gave an example also of a situation where the Prophet had said that, you know, on the day of judgment, there would be groups of people, Muslims, who would come before Allah with a collection of deeds the size of the Mount Tihama. However, these deeds will just disintegrate and be as nothing. And the Prophet ﷺ explained that it is because whenever they were alone, they broke the rules of Allah. They did a lot of good deeds, but whenever they were alone, whenever there was nobody to see them, then they broke the laws of Allah. It means that the acts that they were doing, they were doing for show. They were doing it because of the pressure the society or their family or whatever. This is why they were doing these good deeds. But whenever they are alone, there was no pressure, no one there to watch them or anything, then they broke the law. You see, and this is, the, this is the way of the kafir, this is the way of the disbeliever. Because he doesn't feel that there is a point of accountability. Whatever he can do and get away with, he will do. Whereas the believer, his whole approach to life is different. Because he is doing righteousness not because he fears being caught by men. He's doing righteousness because this is something commanded by God. And he knows that he ultimately has to account for himself before God. So it means that whether there is a police out there or the police is not out there, he's going to be righteous. His actions don't change according to the circumstances. He is on a straight path. This is what we refer to in Surah Fatiha as the straight path. The path of the righteous. is not one which varies from circumstances. It's one path. Whatever the circumstances, he's heading along that same path. The straight path. And then he gave another example of a hadith when which the Prophet ﷺ had said that there are the first three people who would be thrown into hell. And these three people represent three groups of people. You know, one would be a martyr who was brought before Allah. And Allah will point out to him the various blessings which he gave this man. And the man will acknowledge the blessing, and then Allah will ask him, Well, what did you do with these blessings? You know, you were given these things, you have responsibility. Now what did you do? Allah gave him strength, ability to fight, so and so forth, so, knowledge. So, he says, Well, I used this ability to fight for your sake. Oh Allah, I fought and I died for your sake. But Allah will say, No, you didn't fight for my sake. You fought so that people would say, What a great fighter! What a fantastic, you know, Mujahid. And the people have said it. So there is nothing for you in this life. So he will be drawn away on his face and thrown into hell. He's the first. The second will be a scholar. Allah will ask him about the blessings which he gave him. And the man will acknowledge it also. Big sheikh, he acknowledges, yes. You gave me this knowledge, you gave me this opportunity. So Allah will ask, what did you do with it? He say, well, I taught people the Quran, and I gave them knowledge of Islam, and." guided them, so and so for your sake, O Allah. Allah will say, no, you didn't do it for my sake. We did it so people would say, what a great shaykh! What a knowledgeable man! How great and pious and noble is this person! And people have said it in the dunya. So there's nothing for you in this life. And he will be drawn off in his, on his face and thrown into hell. And the third will be a rich individual, Allah, one who Allah gave huge amounts of wealth. Allah will again recount to him the blessings. the man will acknowledge it. And he'll be asked, what do you do with it? And he said, well, I gave in charity. How many people, you know? Two million to this, and two million to that, and five million here and there. He gave all of the place, he gave for your sake. And Allah will say, no, you didn't do it for my sake. You did it, so people will say, what a kind and generous man. Look how kind and generous he is. You did it for praise in that life. And you got it. So there's nothing for you in this life. He'll be drawn off on his face and thrown into hell. And these three people, why, why does the Prophet ﷺ pick out these three? And of course this is because Allah has revealed this to him. Although we are understanding that this, the meaning of this goes beyond these three people. But still, these three people will be brought before Allah and others like them and thrown in fire first before all the other people. In other words, before the disbelievers, etc., who will be brought up for their deeds. The first of the people will be these individuals who considered and called themselves Muslims, who were, you know, honored amongst Muslims, as martyrs, as scholars, you know, as as charitable individuals. They will be the first to go to hell. Why? Because these three individuals, these groups of people, this, these categories, these are the categories also which take a person to the highest levels of paradise. So you see, it's like a double-edged sword. When Allah gives you this, it can either take you to the highest level of paradise, if you do it with sincerity, or it can take you first to hell, to the lowest levels of hell, if you do it without sincerity. Because these are all trials and tests. So this is something that we all should reflect on. And what this all shows us is that amongst the the biggest thing which destroys sincerity is what we call showing off. In, in Arabic it's called riyah, ar It means doing things to be seen or to be heard by people. And this is the major factor which destroys sincerity. So it is something that we have to be constantly fighting against. And we do so by remembering Allah, by maintaining modesty in our dealings with people. We try to avoid, you know, because people will push you out there. People will praise you and cause you to start to do things for the praise. Because being praised, people cheering and clapping, this is something which makes anybody happy. You know, our natures are like that. That we like to be, people say, great, you're really nice and fantastic. So this is our nature. You know, this is why, you know, you, See the people who are the pop stars and so and so, you know, once they've been out there with thousands of people clapping and cheering, it is something and they become addicted to it. You know? And to, to to fall off the charts, you know, and not become so popular anymore, it becomes devastating for them. When the numbers dwindle, they don't have people around them anymore, it becomes devastating to them. So much so they end up committing suicide, taking drugs and killing themselves one way or the other. You know, This is the nature of man, and this is why Prophet said that if somebody comes and and is constantly praising you to your face. Throw dirt in his face. Throw dirt in his face. Chase him away. Don't allow him to do it. And this is why also, among the things that we seek refuge in Allah from, you know, in the beginning of the Salah, when we say, a'udhu بِاللَّهِ السَّمِيرُ عَلِيمُ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمُ مِنْ That is the prodding of shaytan. وَنَّفَخِهِ And that is the pride, being blown up with pride. وَنَفَثِهِ and the poetry of Satan. The pride. The Prophet ﷺ said that no one would enter paradise who has a mustard seeds weight of pride in his heart. Because pride is what drives us to do things for show. See, because we recognise that doing things for show this is the factor which destroys destroys sincerity. Now what causes us to do things for show? Pride. This is one of the major factors which drives us to want to do something so that people will praise us. Pride. So it means it's something that we have to work constantly against. It is the original sin. It is the basis of the argument of Satan. When Satan refused to bow to Allah, when Allah asked him, why you didn't bow? He said, what? Because you made me, I'm better than Adam. Why he didn't bow to Adam? He said, because you made me from fire and you only made him from clay. Fire is greater than clay, isn't it? This was his pride. This is what caused him, though he knew Allah better than you and I. He knew Allah better than you and I. Allah spoke to him directly. Anybody here and Allah spoke to him directly? <laughs> huh? Anybody who says that is in trouble, really. Anyway. So it means he knew Allah better than you and I. We may have little doubts which creep into our mind because we've not seen Allah. Allah is not communicated with us directly or intently. You know, we believe in Allah based on our faith in what the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu has brought to us. That he was a Prophet of Allah and what he brought was the true message. So there is Allah, etc., etc. We believe this. But he had certainty of knowledge. But pride destroyed his faith. So that that knowledge could not be translated into a living faith which would cause him to obey Allah's commandments. So this is why we have to be weary of pride, to strive against it in ourselves, in our children, in our families, in our friends. When we see it happening, it's our duty. You know, as a brother, to advise another brother. If we see it coming up, these feelings, these expressions being, you know, in the person's actions or his words, that he's expressing concepts of pride and so we have to... It's our duty to advise the brother. You know, not that we should go to another brother and say, you know, look, so is was really boastful, isn't he? You know, look at... No, that's no good, because then we're committing sin. Then we are now committing sin. What we should be doing, we should be taking our brother aside and say, you know, brother, really, you know, you shouldn't say these things. It's not good. You know, Satan will take you away with this. You know, cause you to be misguided. So we have to strive against pride. And... We have to develop for ourselves also a good knowledge of Islam. Because, again, doing things for show can also be a result of a lack of knowledge. A person comes into Islam, he knows the basic pillars of Islam, he accepts Islam, he starts doing what everybody else is doing. But he doesn't increase his knowledge. He doesn't read from the seerah, as I said, the autobiography of the Prophet to learn about the way of the Prophet. His way, his modest way, his moderate way, the way of his companions, the same way they said when people came to see, to see the Prophet Muhammad, he was sitting in a group with his companions, you a person came to, to look for the Prophet Muhammad, they're asking they're looking, you know, to want to try and find out which one is the Prophet. He looked like everybody else. He wasn't wearing they expected somebody wearing special robes, maybe sitting up on a you know on a chair or some kind of a special chair, you know. But they, he was not, he was not distinguishable from the rest of his companions. That is Modesty in practice. So we need to read from the Sirah to know about the life of the Prophet, Muhammad to read the hadith, the books of the hadith which describe the Prophet Muhammad, you know, to know more about the Muslim character, what constitutes the Muslim character, you know, getting into the depths of knowledge concerning you know what is required of a Muslim in Islam. See if we don't develop this, we stay in a state of ignorance and it's also easy for us to be misguided and do things for show sure, because we don't have knowledge. That what we're doing is in fact wrong. That's what we were doing before we were Muslims. We did these things because it was, what we did before being Muslim was not, they had nothing to do with Islam. So in, 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 in a situation where people don't fear Allah, where they're not doing things for the pleasure of Allah, where they're just doing it, you know, for their own personal pleasure, then it's very easy to do things for show sure, Because it is pleasurable when you do things and people praise you. So that's what we were doing before, you know. I, those of us who became Muslims, or even those of us, Who were Muslims in name and were born again into Islam, it's the same situation. Because without fear of Allah, then what we do, we do it for the dunya, for this world. And we do it to be praised. So when we come into Islam or we become reawakened to Islam, we have to gain the knowledge which will help us to be able to distinguish between uh, the right and the wrong in this area, this area of pride. Very, very dangerous. And then the Imam mentioned a hadith which was narrated by Abu Huraira and found in the collection of hadith known as Sunan tirmidhi in which he described on, you know, in the latter times there would appear amongst Muslims individuals who would seem to be very righteous but in fact were extremely evil. He said that their tongues would be like honey. When they speak, what they said would be so beautiful and pleasing it would be like you know, taking honey. But their hearts would be the hearts of wolves. So, and also we have the verse in Quran, Allah also says this, you know, وَمِنَ There is amongst mankind, some whose speech in this life would amaze you. وَيُشْهِدُ اللَّهُ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِي And he would swear, Surah Al-Baqarah. He would swear by Allah about what is in his heart. You know that it's really, Iman. وَهُوَ aladul الْخِصَامِ And he will be the worst of enemies. This Allah told us, this is a general situation. They will appear in greater and greater numbers in the last day. So we pray and ask Allah that we not be amongst them. And he also quoted a hadith by Zayd ibn Thabit, in in which he said that, you know, whoever strives for the things of this life, that Allah would cause his efforts to be scattered, and that poverty would be between his eyes, that he would be, you know, always fearing poverty. And he would only get what Allah has written for him anyway. And this is the reality. Those people who have all the money and everything like this, you would think that when you get all that money, you're living high, you're living fine, they should be content now and relaxed and you know everything is fine. But no, you find that they're always worried. They're more worried than when they had less money. The more money they have, they want to make sure keep keeping accounting, accountants, and they have accountants to check the accountants, and you know making sure nobody's stealing any money. And not only that, they want to make sure the money is increasing. So that's why you see when the West is talking about losses. You know this, this year the company had so many losses. Really they're not losses. What it is, is just that their profits are proportionately less this year than it was last. That's considered a loss. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? You know, the the, the capitalist, purely capitalist mentality where, you know, everything is about this dunya. I mean, everything is a loss for him. If his money is not increasing, if it's decreasing in any way, it's a loss. So he sees himself, poverty is like staring him in the face all the time. The fear, ultimate fear of poverty. And it leads many of these individuals to live very wretched lives. Very, very wretched lives. Whereas the person you know, who strives for the next life. Allah will gather his affairs and he will gain contentment in this life. And the dunya will chase him. This life, the material, the wealth and so on, so will chase him. He won't have to go after it, running here and there. It will come after him. He'll be the one saying, no, I don't want, you know. This is the promise of the Prophet which is based on revelation from Allah. So, if we believe that Muhammad was the messenger of Allah, carrying the final revelation of Allah, then we have to accept this. We have to accept this reality. That if we strive for this life, then we will live a wretched life. Though on the outside it may appear that we are living a very comfortable, pleasurable life, we have to believe this is real. That if we strive for the next life, we make our major efforts for what Allah has promised us in the next life, That this dunya, this life will be very easy for us. Easy in the sense that we will be content with our situation. Not that we won't have any trials. Because no. When we commit ourselves to striving for the next life, then we will have more trials than we ever had before in our lives. Because Prophet Muhammad had said that the prophets are the ones who receive the most trials in this life. Then those people who are like the prophets receive the next most. So the more righteous you are, the most more trials you have in this life. But because you know the purpose of life, you know what these trials are there for, they are there to develop your faith, to make your faith stronger. You know, like the heat of the fire, when you put the ore that contains gold, you heat that gold ore to separate the impurities from the pure substance. The heat of that fire, this is like the trials of this life for the believer. It just helps him or her to separate out the impurities and bring forth that pure faith which is a faith which is content, which provides contentment for the individuals in these times, the worst times of trials. So he'll be content. And he'll go through this difficulty. And the dunya will be after him. Like the trials the Prophet ﷺ faced and at the same time the people of Quraysh were offering him the wealth. They say, you want to be the king, we'll gather wealth from all the people in in Medina in Mecca and make you the wealthiest. You want women, we'll gather all the women for you. The best, the prettiest, you choose the ones you want. So all these things were being offered. The dunya, chasing the Prophet At the same time, they were trying to stop him in other ways. Through boycotting, trying to kill him, and all these other things. So it's a mixture. You'll find a mixture of both things happening. The satanic forces trying to stop righteousness in, in both ways. Either by direct evil acts against you, Or offering you things which would cause you to divert. But when one's goal is the next life, then one is able to see through these things. The trials, you are able to handle them. Whether it is trials in terms of personal tragedies, calamities, etc. Or it's trials in terms of rich, richness, wealth, pleasure, etc. You're able to handle it and keep going forward. And this is the promise of Allah and it is the basis of our sincerity. Our faith in Allah, our sincere, our faith which is real faith, producing righteous deeds which are for the sake of Allah. This is what it will carry us ultimately to paradise. It will carry us through this life and its difficulties to the pleasures of the next life. So we have to, as individuals, assess ourselves. Allah has given us means in the Quran, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the Sunnah, has given us means to assess ourselves, to check ourselves, to know, are we sincere in what we're doing or are we not? Sincerity can be judged. We don't have to ask somebody to tell us, are you sincere or not? No. We can figure it out. If you do something, there's an Islamic project there for us to do. And you take part in it, but when somebody criticizes you or does something you don't like, you say, I don't have to take this, so you don't take part in it anymore. This is a sign of insincerity. Because if you are sincerely doing that for Allah, it doesn't matter. If somebody uses, you know, language you don't like, or they said something you don't like, or you don't like the way people are doing it, this is not going to stop you from doing it, because you're doing it for Allah's sake. If things are not going your way, you know, you join a project, Islamic effort, and you have an idea, it should be done this way, but everybody doesn't see it that way, and they feel no, it should be done that way. So you say, no, okay, if you're not going to do it my way, you can't have my support. Again. These are signs of insincerity. You couldn't possibly be doing it for a I mean, you're doing it because you want to do it your way. You want to lead. You want to be the one in front of everybody else following you, taking your advice and your ideas. That's so we have to strive against these, The signs of pride which destroy our sincerity. We have to increase our knowledge of Islam so that we can protect ourselves against pride and uh, other forms of deviation which cause us to do things not for the sake of Allah, but for the sake of ourselves. What is pleasurable to our nafs or our soul, our self, our ego. This is it, the ego. Me, I want. We're not saying you destroy this, we we want. There is a me. Now some people go to another extreme and say no, for you to be really righteous you have to destroy. Ego, no ego, no I, no me. This is an extreme. Because Allah made us with I and me, mind. But it just has to stay within the bounds that Allah has set. So, that summarizes basically the um, content of...